0: Welcome to the Metal Hammer Podcast episode 172. I am Mel from Metal Hammer and I'm joined today by Mr. Stephen Hill, also from Metal Hammer. How are you, Stephen?
1: I'm good, thanks, mate. I've just had my second jab uh, about about 24 hours ago. I'm not going to lie. i got a little bit of a headache. I'm feeling a little bit woozy. I've had a full fat coke and a lot of water, cut the paracetamol, and I'm feeling ready to go
0: basically you're, a, you're in the uh the, you're in the pfizer club with me aren't you
1: no i'm an astrazeneca man ooh i'm be me, interested Mel pfizer me astrazeneca different vaccines for different
0: <laughs> oh the worst office. the one. worst one the yeah. worst one we're not doing yeah. that we realized that the office turned 20 this week and it's made us feel old as fuck Uh, But in other news, before we continue, I should definitely tell you that the latest issue of Metal Hammer is still out right now. It is a, if I do say so myself, quite frankly, spectacular celebration of Iowa by Slipknot turning 20 this year. Just talked about feeling old. Goodness me. 2001 was a good year, wasn't it? Talking Iowa, we're talking the office, it was all going on. Uh, but the latest issue of Metal Hammer is all about Iowa. You can pick it up right now. We've got a world exclusive brand new interview with the band. We've also got interviews with people like Ross Robinson, who were around uh, and very heavily involved with the Iowa process at the time. And you would have heard Ross talking about Iowa as well on last week's podcast. There's even more of him in the new issue, along with the rest of the, the Slipknot crew um it's just a massive massive issue and we're very very proud of it it comes with a world exclusive patch commemorative patch uh, which we've seen loads of you sharing on uh, social media so thanks very much for that an album art poster pack um it is absolutely stacked basically if you like all things Slipknot and if you don't like Slipknot surely you're listening to the wrong podcast uh, so go pick up that issue now it's in shops across the UK you can get it delivered to your door from tinyurl.com get hammer um, and if you're not sure where to go out and get it if you do want to get it in real life you can check your nearest stocking shop at uh, tinyurl.com findhammer slash find hammer so you've got no excuse you've got another week to get it and then we're revealing the next issue of metal hammer right here on next week's show so we see you then I don't know why i said that like i'm signing off we've got a whole show to do now <laughs> yeah. as well see that, please guys. don't leave don't leave <laughs> come back so the um, non-slip
1: fans going somewhere else to another <laughs> podcast
0: No, we want you to. We want you all. We appreciate you all. Uh, We also appreciate our lovely sponsors in Killstar Clothing. Go over to killstar.com now to check out their immense range of T-shirts, hoodies, hats, shoes, homeware items. I mean, you can take yourself out. You can basically deck out your entire life, your house, your furniture, everything. Uh, If you want uh, bedding that looks like an Ouija board, you can get it at Killstar. If you need a badass new wallet with a chain and all the good stuff, they got you covered as well. It's the most diverse Cool looking, and most importantly of all, the most metal as fuck range of clothing and accessories you'll find uh, pretty much anywhere, really. So go to killstar.com now, get stuck into all their stuff, uh, and uh, you know, tell them we sent you because we appreciate you very much. Um, we said last week that we were going to do a review roundup for this week's show, but for reasons that will become clear next week. Uh, we decided to push that back an episode. So we're going to do the review roundup of all that good stuff we talked about. Uh, we're going to talk about the Beartooth album, the Out the Gates album, the Backwash album, other stuff as well. Um, that's all coming up next week. Um, but because we pushed that back, Steve and I decided to do something a little different and jump on here and uh, and do something a bit more... Um, I was going to say irreverent, but it is linked to something that's kind of been going on in the news this week because mm-hmm. we have, of course, learnt that this week... Uh, well, next week officially, restrictions will be lifted in the UK, which is pretty crazy in many ways. I know a lot of people are a bit anxious about it and um, don't really blame them for that. I hope everyone listening will obviously continue to stay safe, observe social distancing measures where necessary. For fuck's sake, please continue to wear masks where you need to. Don't be silly and just drop them just because you don't necessarily have to. The pandemic is obviously a long way from over yet. Um, but what this all does mean here in the UK is that festivals like bloodstock can now officially go ahead, which is very exciting. We obviously had a great and very successful run at download pilot last month. uh, And now we're going full throttle into the rest of festival season with bloodstock next month, which is going to be great. Amazing lineup they put together this year, especially given all the crazy circumstances around it. Um, And so in honor of festival season now officially being underway Uh, Steve and I decided to celebrate the return of festivals by counting down our 10 favourite festival sets ever. 10 favourite festival sets of all time that is not Slipknot at Download 2009. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you're talking about metal festivals and rock festivals and defining sets, especially if you're of my age and my generation... You can't not talk about Slipknot Download 2009, but I feel like we've talked about that set over and over again. So that one does not count. It would absolutely be in the list if it was eligible, but um, it's not because we make the rules and that's how it goes. Uh, the only other rule for this is that each festival set obviously has to be Metal Hammer friendly. You know, we all love seeing Faithless at Glastonbury in 2010, but people don't really want to hear about that right now. Um so Steve and I are going to pick our five favourite festival sets of all time and just talk about them and what great moments they were in time, what they meant to the metal scene at the time, uh, the kind of context in which they were important and what they mean to us personally. Um, and we're going to do them in chronological order as well. We're going to do one each at a time. Um, and I guess we'll just have to work that out as we go along because we haven't actually shown each other our picks in advance because we wanted some surprises to, to pop up. It's um, exciting, isn't it? Doing it on it's the It's exciting fly. stuff. I'm genuinely looking forward to seeing when, uh, what has made it into your list. Um, what, did you approach this predominantly, Steve, from a point of view of trying to pick like era-defining, definitive, kind of objectively important festival sets or festival sets that were just your favourite because of X, Y, and Z? I have be- done this in a... This is very
1: particular and very personal to me these five sets that I'm going to pick, there is nothing that, I there's there's a couple of headlining sets, but there is a few that are like, it's quite, I'd say fairly varied, but all of them are, uh, no matter where they sat on the bill, it's more about kind of that particular moment in time for me, I would say, as opposed to being like, if this hadn't have happened, then blah, 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 I wouldn't have, gone on to play there and you know we knew they were going to be the headliners when i saw them at this point this is just stuff that when i thought back and i was like what basically when i close my eyes what things can what images pop up in my head from festivals first that i look back on and go fucking hell i was just so happy in that moment watching that band at that time so i've got five of them and i probably will expand on them because a couple of them are I picked a set from a, an amazing time an amazing day, and i pro- so I probably will talk about that in a bit more, but yeah, this is pretty personal. you're not gonna get many like you know um first time revenge headline or like you say slip not download two thousand nine It's not really much of that in this this list i'm gonna do
0: i think that's I think that's very fair, and I'd say mine is mostly the same, possibly with the exception of one of them which is going to be my last one um and it could have been something different which would have been probably more personal but i'll get to that i'll get to that when we cross it and why i didn't end up putting it in what is your what year is your first set from because without being disparaging i suspect you had a little bit more festival experience under your belt before i did so you might be starting a bit earlier than me 1996
1: the greatest ever year for music yeah
0: that is definitely earlier than mine my i mean i was going to festivals regularly from about 2003 um and my first is actually 2005 so it was a couple of years before i had something that was really eligible for this kind of list what's your what's Mm -hmm. your 1996 pick then steve so it's the first
1: day that i ever experienced at a festival ever i spent the entire day uh at the hanging out the main stage uh, the Reading Festival on the Friday in nineteen ninety six. So I can give you the exact date if you like. It would be the twenty third of August, Friday, the twenty third of August, nineteen ninety six. In a bill, uh, which if you are an alternative rock fan from the nineties, is a, a beautiful, beautiful bill. Headline. I just by the had product- to look
0: this up because I couldn't remember it quite off the top of my head. But uh, now I've seen the lineup, I do know this lineup. It's infamously amazing.
1: Yeah. So um, you've got. Downset, Butthole Surfers, Ice tea, Weezer, Television Offspring and a flip-flop where the Prodigy were asked by my first pick if they would headline rather than the band who were meant to be headlining headlining. So Radiant's Machine gave up their headline slot in the aftermath of Firestarter by Prodigy getting to number one because they basically went, we
0: don't really want to go on after you. And... That is insane. Imagine Rage Against the Machine thinking, no, we don't want none of that.
1: And the thing is, is actually, the Prodigy probably should have gone, no, you're all right. Because I was there that day and everyone was great. But that kind of ding dong at the top of the bill between Rage and Prodigy was all everybody was sort of waiting for. I have to say, you know, no one's ever going to blow the Prodigy off stage. But Rage Against the Machine... Came as close as anyone could humanly possibly imagine to getting the better of the Prodigy. That Regents Machine set was one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in my entire life. And I can remember every single solitary moment of it. They just... It was the first time where from, from that day, because like, you know, Offspring on the Back of Smash were a really big band. Weezer, just you know, Buddy Holly was massive. Television were a really big band in the UK at that point. Everyone had a lovely time to iced tea. Like there were some real cool moments that day. But when Ragent's Machine came out and started with People of the Sun, I think into Bomb Track, uh, like it was like someone had just dropped a a bucket of grenades in the field, and I remember being like, you know, it's the first time really. I'd I'd only ever been to one gig to see Madness <laughs> before I'd gone to Red in nineteen ninety six, and I was like, at the end of the day, I was like, oh, I, I think I realise how good live music can be. Not at all. Ragent's Machine just fucking phenomenal. Four blokes, drum kit, bass, guitar, microphone. That's it. Real tight in together. The whole field from front to back just losing their shit. I just remember thinking, like... It's the... it's. I was elated and terrified at the same time. And that's The Rage Machine on Evil Empire. And those... Like, obviously everything Rage has put out is great. But those first two records... A, a set comprised purely of stuff from those first two albums... Is like... Forget about it. Like, not a wasted second for that whole set. It was... It was unbelievable. It was like war, actual war, and I, I, have never seen anything like that before. And the prodigy came on, and with the prodigy afterwards. like you know, don't get me wrong, the prodigy were fucking amazing, but I was just like, I can't believe how great Regent's Machine were. They were unbelievable. No light show, no tricks. Like you know, the prodigy, Keith was dressed up, and Maxim looked cool as fuck. Massive light show, loads of smoke. You know, prodigy obviously to bring a whole full-blown show with them, Rage its machine, curtain, amp, drum kit, microphone, nothing else. And for them to command people like that, like I would say Prodigy, Rage and Limp Biscuit are the only three bands that I've ever seen in my life where you go, oh, the, the entire field to like from the barrier to the like hot dog stand at the back. are lose and Slipknot as well. They'd be the four where you're like, everybody's losing their shit everybody's mm. losing their shit. And it was just, it was, it was so exciting. So exciting.
0: Okay. So it's just so weird one. to think that, you know, the prodigy are a shout for my favorite band ever. And I, for me, they are objectively the greatest live band ever. And the fact that you're talking about seeing the prodigy fresh off dropping Firestarter, and then not the band you're picking from that lineup <laughs> shows how ridiculous Rage Against the Mishima at that point in time.
1: Mm. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Like, I mean, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, Prodigy were fucking fantastic afterwards, but I really felt like Rage stole the day. Like, loads of bands had great sets that day. You know, I thought like Offspring were <laughs> Offspring were, were were great that day. You yeah, know? this isn't I've,
0: even like oh, your dad's favorite pop punk bands era Offspring. Yeah. This is like when they were still a really on cool, Smash. Yeah, it yeah. was the.
1: I think it was the last gig of the Smash tour, and you know, like Ice T was you know, is a consummate sort of entertainer and like um, was amazing live and you know down set who are a, a kind of a rap metal band from that period as well were were great like loads of people were great that day. Um but rage just they they really like that kind of ding dong they did with the prodigy was fucking amazing and I do remember being like super excited to probably more excited to see Prodigy than I was Rage but walking away being like I think Rage
0: took that it was amazing Mm, that's incredible i mean i suspect that your uh second pick might be before my first pick as well but i feel like it makes more sense if we go yeah to and fro between us yeah i've already fucked the the chronology thing sorry everyone um we make the rules it's fine uh yeah i mean i can't i just can't compete with seeing that kind of thing because those kind of bands that i love that spawned in the 90s and came up in the 90s they were still great bands by the time i see seen them i mean prodigy have always been just incredible for instance but you know i saw rage once and it was 2008 and i just you can't compare those two experiences i don't think it's just unbelievable um but my first pick uh, as i said is in 2005 which feels a little bit late for my picks because i i was thinking about the when you said know my first proper experience of a festival and stuff and i to this point had been to reading and i had been to glastonbury and if i was talking about just a general festival experience that defined my life it would be the first time i went to glastonbury because that was to do glastonbury as your first proper festival as a kind of teenager it just creates a bar to which nothing else ever compares and it kind of it's its own thing um And then when I started to go to Reading and Leeds, you know, there was more rock and metal present there. Like in the first few years, I went to Reading. I saw um, Killswitch, I saw Slayer, I saw Bulletfire Valentine. Um, Slipknot and Avenged were supposed to play one year, but they pulled out. Um, I did see Avenged at my first Reading actually in the tent at at the lockup stage in my first Reading as well. And that was a shout for this because that was when they were just on Waking the Fallen and it was like heavy, urgent, mad, metallic, hardcore band just completely fill in the tent out and it was great but um i thought about it and i had to pick this for my first pick really which is the first time i saw i made at a festival which was reading 2005 and i'd actually only seen maiden once to this point believe it or not because i got into maiden on the brave new world cycle um but i didn't get to see them on that tour and then i saw them on the dance of death tour when they did i was caught and then uh the next time i saw them um ended up being at this Reading set in 2005, headlining the Sunday. Um, And that day I'd seen uh, Marilyn Manson as well, who was one of my other favourite artists at the time. And so it felt like a really cool, exciting day, especially for Reading, which even then, like I said, did have a lot of rock and metal representation, but it was not a rock and metal festival by that point. Like the indie explosion was happening. It was ongoing. It was taking over, you know. Uh, So seeing Maiden, I mean, even thinking of Maiden headlining Reading just seems impossible now. It's just never going (laughs) to happen again. No way. It did happen. And it happened on the Eddie Rips Up the World Tour, which is where Maiden were exclusively playing tracks from the first four albums. Um, And not only were they doing that, but the majority of the setlist was actually Paul Diano era tracks, which is fucking mad when you think about it. You had Bruce Dickinson up there singing songs and most of the songs he was singing at that set weren't songs he was a part of. Um, so you're getting staples that have always been a big part of the main set like Running Free, Raph Child, Iron Maiden but you're also getting like Prowler you're getting Another Life, you're getting Drifter you're getting Sanctuary um, they were starting their set with Murders in the Root Morgue, which is just such a mad song for Iron Maiden to start a set list it just doesn't really compute when you look at all the tracks they usually open their, um, their gigs with it's almost exclusively like iconic gig starters like you know Wicker Man or Aces High or It's a New Album Track like they rarely would throw out something like that at the start of the set so it felt absolutely mad to start with um uh, and they were playing songs they had not played in years and that they haven't played i mean i don't think they've played murders since that tour so you're talking like 16 years now since they played some of these songs um and what the reason that it was such a big maiden set for me is that i think objectively it's not my favorite maiden set ever like i'd put twickenham above it I'd probably put for the occasion at least one of the downloads I've seen above it. I'd definitely put seeing them in Mexico above it just because it was such a crazy thing. The Legacy of the Beast set list is the best set list I've ever seen them do. But in terms of just the form that they were on and the energy they brought to the stage that day, I think it's probably the best I've ever seen Iron Maiden. And I strongly suspect a big part of that is because that gig came barely a week off the back of their Ozfest tour that year. Um, the Osweir tour that finished with the band getting egged on stage and the PA getting turned off Sharon Osbourne turning up on stage and slagging Bruce Dickinson off it was really controversial and it was still dominating the metal news at the time so Maiden were fucking fired up because they literally had this gig just go really weird and they were kind of apparently they were amazing at that so I think Dom Lawson told me it was the best he's ever seen them because he was at that show and He just said they were just on another planet because they were so pissed off at what was going on that they just absolutely went for it. Um, And uh, so they were still so, so fired up. And seeing like Bruce doing Prowler in that kind of mood was fucking crazy because it's the closest we've ever got since Bruce came back to Maiden to seeing them just for a moment feel like that urgent kind of punk-tinged metal band again, which they have obviously not been for a long, long time. They've evolved... I think they've evolved to a much better band since then, but um, it just felt like seeing Maiden in their purest, rawest form. Admittedly, still with, like, Eddies and Bruce Wade the Flag for the Trooper and all that stuff. I think that might have been the first time you start to, like, wear their uniform and all that shit. Um, so there's still all that kind of fun and games as well, but it just felt like pure, unadulterated early days Iron Maiden. And um, to see that for, at a festival as well. At Reading as well, where you know even in a time where Reading was still playing quite a lot of rock and metal bands, Maiden felt like an outsider band at that festival. Like, this is, like, in the midst of bands, like the Killers stepping up to headline. Um, the year before this, like, the Darkness headlined and the White Stripes headlines, you know, like, it was a very different... Like, Reading was changing, basically. Download had arrived and Reading was moving away from being the festival of the alternative people, basically. Um, and so to see Iron Maiden kind of stuck there at this in in this weird kind of evolving bill, playing an early day set. So like you're getting Run to the Hills and stuff, but you know, you're not getting Fear of the Dark, you're not getting anything off Seventh Sun, you're not getting anything off Power Slave. Like, it was it was such a surreal experience to see made in an environment like that. And the fact that they turned up and just absolutely obliterated it was just amazing. And I don't know that anything I've ever seen him do since just compares to that raw mad. Visceral Maiden set, which aren't necessarily words you'd always use with Maiden nowadays. So it was pretty fucking special. I have that's to say. a bit.
1: That's a bit of me, that mate. That first four album yeah. stuff. That's what I would like. When you are going through the set list, I was like, fuck yeah. I, I you know, as someone who, I mean, are Iron Maiden objectively a better band in the aftermath of Bruce Dickinson being? A, yeah, like definitely. But what do I like from Iron Maiden? Certainly like Wrathchild, Prowler, like all that shit you're talking about. I mean, that's, yeah, that would be fucking awesome. And It was really cool. I think, yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. Well, you're not, you didn't go to Reading that year? I didn't know. I'll talk about the last time I went to Reading for a while uh, in a little bit, actually. But oh. yeah. Right. Mm. Go on, then, give us your next pick. Well, I'm glad you mentioned about the kind of Reading being a, a festival, which, because I, I kind of didn't really mention that in my last one, but I think 1996 was the last year. Of us getting a Monsters of Rock at Donington before it came back as download or whatever. And um, I, so I, you know, I went to my first festival and I would say Rage were the closest thing to a quote unquote metal band. I don't think they are a metal band, but I think they're the closest thing you would get to a metal band that are at that festival. When you look at the rest of it, you know, you've got the Prodigy and Weezer and, um, uh, those you know offspring and that sort of thing on there rock bands yeah but not really metal bands there's no really not really any metal bands and that lineup was massively dominated by you know um stone roses headline the the, the last day so stone roses and garbage and uh and black grape headline the, the middle day and i was fine i, I like all that stuff but I would have liked to have seen some some metal bands really, and then the next year I went to in Metallica headlined. I nearly picked, but I don't really want to give him. Obviously, I don't want to give him too much credit. Metallica and Marilyn Manson back to back that day was pretty amazing, but probably don't talk about that at the moment. Um, but I was, but again, you know, you were getting bands like The Descendants and Bush, and again, Terrorvision, and again, it was it was mostly rock bands, and I was hugely into more. You know, I was getting into proper heavy music by this point. By the time 1998 came around, that when you're 16, 17, that, that two years feels like a really, really long time. And it's like, I've never got to see the bands that I really love at a festival. Just a whole day of metal. And the idea of that seemed so fucking exciting to me. So I've picked the OzFest 98, the first ever UK Osfest, the Milton Keynes Bowl. I didn't really know who to pick from that lineup to be honest because it was such a great day it was just such a fucking great day
0: we'll run through the lineup because uh, some people probably don't even know the exact one we're talking about it is monstrous it is black sabbath ozzy Osbourne, foo fighters
1: um therapy who stood in for corn pantera soulfly slayer fear factory with the second stage of coal chamber life of agony entombed human waste project and head pe and pitch shifter and fuck me so many people had such good gigs that day it's not quite
0: seeing razor light at reading 2005 is it's it?
1: not quite no i mean for me the obvious obvious one would be pantera who i think stole the day that would be the obvious one um but it was such a great day that i kind of want to give the whole bill a shout out really you know and that's why I've, I've kind of gone for Pitch Shifter, who were the first band on of the whole day, because I shit you not like I know you listening right now. If you're a, a younger person listening right now, you might not be aware of the paucity of being able to see metal bands at festivals back in the day, back in these days. You know, like you, 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 one day in over a three year period, three, four year period, we got one day. In festivals in the UK of metal bands, and this this was it. And I felt like I'd been waiting so long. I was looking at the Ozfest lineup for '96, looking at the Ozfest lineup in '97. Uh, I mean, the Ozfest '97 lineup is in the US is just unbelievable. Like it should be illegal how good that fucking lineup was. So to get to Milton Keynes Bowl and just see everybody around you in Slayer shirts in corn shirts, in Pantera shirts, in Aussie shirts. Every single person was a metal fan. Every single person was there because there was not going to be any sneering indie kids telling you that you like stupid music. You weren't going to have to spend a couple of hours going, ah, oh, I don't really want to watch Bentley Rhythm Ace or, you know, some like electronic band before the band that I like come on. It was just going to be metal all day and you know i don't like all of the bands that played i don't think i needed to see cold chamber particularly if i'm if i'm being brutally honest but you know but the second that pitch shifter came on and i remember like i i loved pitch Shifter at the time and they felt like a you know they were they were apart from aussie and well and therapy they were like the british band on the bill do you know what i mean like it was all american bands and you've got like one british band so i felt like we really clinged hard to pitch shifter being like oh they're the british band on the bill and they walked out on the second stage to open the whole thing up and J.S. claden their singer was wearing was dressed like a priest i remember that he was wearing like a a, a dog collar for like a priest and it was it just kick started i it might sound dramatic but literally one of the best days of my life when i die and someone says to me it's not
0: dramatic to say that you a festival is the best day of your life, mate. I think plenty of people have yeah, that in their locker.
1: If people say to me, well, I, I'm convinced. that so If I could live for, I could live for another ten years. I could live for another forty years. I, get, I could live for another sixty years. But I think I'm sure when people say to me, like, what are the like five best days of your life ever? That day, like me and twelve, thirteen, of my mates getting in a, renting a minibus and getting our mates' mum to drive us up to Milton Keynes when we were like seventeen, eighteen. And just spending the whole day in the sun watching Fear Factory and Soulfly and Slayer and Pantera and Foo Fighters and Therapy and Pitch Shifter and Entombed. ah, oh, it was just so great. And Pitch Shifter just kicked it off in such a, a, a brilliant way. They were really like, they're so up for it. You could tell that they were like, we're the odd ones out a little bit here because we're the kind of young unknown british band amongst all of these american heavy hitters like we are the odd ones out here and we have to sort of kickstart the whole day and everyone was just so up for it you know when you get that first thing like remember when we got on site at download the download last week and it was just like as soon as that band that first band came on the the sort of the, the 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 anticipation excitement and when you finally got to go mental and just actually be like ah live music like and you just were like, this is just the start. This is just the start of this. It was fucking brilliant. I mean, I would say if I'm to be real, Pantera were the best band of the day. They were absolutely, I don't think anyone could, anyone who was there that day will be like Pantera. Pantera were the best band without any shadow of a doubt. They destroyed it. They absolutely destroyed it. And bless the fucking Foo Fighters for having to go on after that. Like people now talk (laughs) about the Foo Fighters, like they're this amazing live band, but they got chewed up and spat out by Pantera. It was just the whole day, man. The whole day was just... It's one of the great days. It's one of the all-time, most exciting, greatest days of my life.
0: Mate, I mean, yeah, you can't compete with that. And when you can condense it all into, like, one day as well, I think it's a different... It's just a different experience to kind of spreading a a festival out over a weekend. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's mad, actually, thinking about it, how spoiled we are for bands at metal festivals now. And it was weird, because I was, I was thinking about, you know, my first pick is from 2005 at Reading. And then after that, I started to enjoy going to Reading less and less, to be honest, just because once you get past about 21, you suddenly realise you're on the older side of people that go to Reading, and it just changes your experience a bit. You go from being the people, you know, driving trolleys around into each other, to being one other person going, oh, I kind of just want to sleep now. Um, (laughs) So it kind of changed my experience. And then Download came along, of course. And I went to my first download in 2006. And if I was going to pick a whole weekend um, to kind of add to a list like this, and it was a download pick, it would probably be download 2006, just because it was my first one. The lineup was great. It was like Metallica, Tool, Guns N' Roses, etc. And uh, the sunny all weekend. First time I downloaded, I was there with my mates. It was amazing. But I don't feel like it produced an all-time legendary set. Probably The Prodigy in the tent. But unfortunately, that was the one great Prodigy set from the last 15 years that I missed because I decided I'll probably see the Prodigy again. I might never see Guns on Roses. There's rumours Slash might be coming out and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, it didn't all happen and I regret my choice immensely. But um, I haven't seen a lot of the definitive download sets, to be honest, Steve. Like, I've seen Slipknot, which is not eligible for this. But I wasn't a download in 2005 for Trivium. I wasn't there for Machine Heads in 2007 um and since then i've kind of always been going as working so my experience has been a bit different so i really had to think about what my first download pick was going to be and i can't see past limp biscuit in 2009 because in a weekend that was just stacked stacked with amazing bands faith no more were fucking great the prodigy were fucking brilliant just before slipknot came on um you know, the, the classic rock run on the Sunday of like Journey and ZZ Top and Whitesnake was such good fun. Um, Pendulum were brilliant that year as well, I, med- I remember, because it just felt like such an oddity. Um, but I genuinely believe that people might still be talking about Limp Biscuit now if that Slipknot set hadn't happened. And for me, Limp Biscuit were the band that got me into metal more than anyone else. Um, I got into Chocolate Starfish as a kid. I was obsessed with that album. I still know every single word on that album um as i think i've said on here before i was meant to go see them in 2001 on the chocolate starfish tour uh supported by deftones godsmack and outcast which is just mad at Milton Keynes bowl obviously the that gig got cancelled and then i never saw limp biscuit it just never happens i didn't go to their um they they cancelled I, I couldn't go to download anyway but they cancelled that year i didn't get to go to the free finsbury park show they put on beyond that um, so I just never got to see Biscuit in all those years that I was a fan. And then my taste kind of gravitated away a little bit. You know, new Metal died a death quite violently. <laughs> um, you know, Biscuit just couldn't follow up. Chocolate Starfish, Wes left, and he was back in the band. And it just it all got a bit like, eh. And meanwhile, I'd moved on to listening to like, you know, quote unquote, proper metal. I was really into my melodeath death and everything else. And, I, you know, it just kind of started to feel like that was a little period that just wasn't gonna you know ever lead to anything lasting other than oh yeah that's kind of the stuff that got me into metal and then Biscuit got announced for download in 2009 and Wes was back in the band and there was just some there was just something about that weekend the sunshine the lineup where everyone was so excited and up for everything that was happening but you just didn't know where Biscuit were really going to fit into that lineup because now they're kind of like a nostalgia band everyone loves them again everyone's excited whenever they come around but Biscuit weren't You know, they were still kind of seen as like the whipping boys of metal at that point. Um, And then it came time for their set on the Friday afternoon and the sun was out and they drew a fucking massive crowd. Maybe the biggest main stage crowd of that day. It was absolutely huge. The whole fucking field was full. Uh, And I'm kind of sitting there thinking, God, I'm quite excited about this actually, but like, I don't really know what's going to happen because people don't like Biscuit and I don't know, it's a bit weird. They come out Wes looks fucking amazing. The best get-up he's had ever. <laughs> yeah. He looked like a satanic cockerel or something. It was the coolest he's ever looked on stage. They come out jamming this, I think it was like this weird version of, you know the Richard Strauss song from 2001 A Space Odyssey, where it's like, bam, yeah. bam, 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 bam. I think they were kind of jamming that. It was all a bit weird and kind of chaotic and disjointed. And then Fred comes like skipping out, literally skipping out, and they just launch into break stuff. And it's like, I was like, oh my God. And all of a sudden, like those kind of nine years between getting into them for the first time and me being like, you know, by that point, I was starting to work for websites and stuff. I was kind of a little bit more in the industry, not properly. I was at download with my mates and stuff. But all of a sudden, those years just evaporated. And they came on and they did break stuff and everyone went absolutely fucking ballistic. And Fred got in the crowd at the end of the start of that first song. Everyone was jumping, moshing, crowd surfing, partying. They went from that into my generation. They went from that into living it up. It was just like, it was utter insanity. And They got, I, they I got, got that guy out,
1: didn't they? They got that guy up on stage. He was just amazing. At, like Was it Boiler
0: that he did? Yeah, I think it was... Uh, was it Boiler or maybe Full Nelson? I can't remember. Full Nelson, it was Full Nelson, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, and, and that's something I've seen them do a few times since then. Yeah, that was really fun and was like a really fun like uh, addition to the thing. And they dropped some significant other tracks as well. They did Show Me What You Got, which was felt like a bit of a deep cut. Obviously, they did Nookie. Um, they did Eat You Alive as well, which I think is really underrated track. I love that tune. And then they finished with Rollin', Full Nelson, My Way, Faith, and Take A Look Around. I mean... Like for me, that set has forever, whatever happens to Biscuit from now on, that, has, that set has forever solidified them as Metal's premier party band. When they turn up, people are going to fucking party. And I feel like even though Fred's still a bit odd and people take the piss out of him, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, um, and even though they're still a, an objectively ridiculous band, I feel like the conversation around Blimp Biscuit has changed forever since that set. And as someone who was a new Metal kid, And then quickly realised that new metal was like not welcoming metal. We don't like new metal. Seeing a crowd that big lose their fucking minds for these songs that had completely defined my generation of metal fans. No pun intended. Um, It was so vindicating and it was so brilliant. And ever since then, I've always been like, Biscuit are fucking great. I never doubted my kind of love of them again. Do you know what I mean? Because up until that point, like, I hadn't even really listened to Biscuit properly for a while. Um, And now, like... I don't know how many times I probably still listen to chocolate starfish a year, but it's a lot. Yeah, me- uh, and it was just, it was amazing. And yeah, it was just, it was an amazing set. And I honestly think if it wasn't on such a great weekend where, like I said, faith, the more Slipknot, prodigy all put out classic sets. There's many more across that weekend as well. I think people would look back on that biscuit set as one of the all time great download moments. Cause for me, it was, it was amazing
1: yeah i mean i'm actually going to talk about download 2009 a little bit so i won't go any further but i would definitely agree with everything you just said and i might expand on that in a little bit if you don't mind but i
0: mate please do
1: limp biscuit the idea that i mean i hate the term guilty pleasure anyway limp biscuit make people feel good like don't be a fucking don't be a killjoy you know like I, i i i think you're right i think the sort of the pretense that limp biscuit are embarrassing or they're you know like they something that you should be ashamed of, I'm really glad to see the back of that to be honest. And I think it's you can pretty much see the back of it at this point because I, I'm sure there are there are people who, you know, probably stopped listening to metal in two thousand four or whatever sort of my age. You are like no 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 they're still embarrassing. Who don't know what's happened since, but you know. Um, I, I think I, there's one so things... much. There's so much about them as a band where you're like, well, they're such good musicians, and it feels so good. And yeah, you might not like rapping, and you might not like the front man, but you can't deny the like the potency and the power of like every time they step on stage. It's just fucking undeniable. Like, it, yeah, it, it's amazing. It's just so great, so great.
0: One of the things I love about this kind of younger generation of rock fans is that they don't give a fuck about stuff like that, about guilty pleasures and all that kind of thing. And like who they're supposed to like and not like, they just like everything. Like I see people in bands who are like 20, 21, 22 years old and they'll be jamming, you know, emperor one minute and then they'll be jamming do a loop of the next. And then they'll be jamming biscuit the next and they love it all. And I think it's great because it's such a healthy, positive way to engage with music um, mm-hmm. And it means that Limp Biscuit are, are really cool again. Like everyone was so excited when they announced those UK days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think this set list, this set at download that year kind of helped to move the conversation along on Biscuit as it should, because fuck me, they were a metal band. Okay. A new metal band, but still a metal band selling a million albums a week. Like insane. Yeah. yeah insane. Fucking nuts. Fucking nuts. To be continued after
1: my next all pick. Right, all right, Um, so The last time I went to Reading before I had a big old gap and I came back as a, you know, I did feel quite old at this point, but fucking hell, I felt really old when I went back in 2016. Jesus, 2002, um, I I went to Reading and um, then I didn't go to a festival full stop for seven years after that. But the, 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 the sort of rock day, which in Leeds was headlined by Guns N' Roses, who only played Leeds. Again, headline by The Prodigy. Um, look at that line up there. Prodigy, Offspring, Slipknot, Incubus, No Effects, Puddle of Mud, 100 Reasons, Amen, Raging and Speed On. And sat right down at the bottom of that bill is probably the most infamous opening. I mean, infamous feels, because obviously Trivium at Download 2005, first band on, really, really classic, famous. But in terms of a infamous Opening set day to a festival. The Dillinger escape plan at Reading in 2002 has become a thing that some people, it's all that some people know about them, which is deeply unfair because they're one of my favourite bands ever. I think they're one of the best bands ever, full stop. One of the most unique, innovative, brilliant inspiring perfect bands that have ever 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 formed they're incredible and back in 2002 uh with you know a, a couple of eps and one mad debut album like under under their belt uh i was obsessed with the dillinger escape plan i thought they were the best thing in the whole world they played with system of a down they'd done that system of a down tour where they got booed every night and i think you know and i would seen them that. Yeah, I'd seen them headline uh, a bunch of gigs. I saw them play little shows in Oxford, in Portsmouth, in Brighton. I'd seen them do the LA2 in London a few times. And I knew that they were probably the best live band on the planet at this point. Just fucking insane. And I loved the chaos and insanity that they brought. And the idea of the Dillinger Escape Plan on the main stage at the Reading Festival amongst Puddle of Mud and Offspring an incubus i just thought that i have to see this
0: and if you're thinking if you're listening and thinking well those are all alternative bands they're all kind of rock bands as well you've got to remember that this is still coming off the arse end of the kind of new metal and pop punk explosion and all those bands had major crossover maybe with the except obviously i mean amen and raging speed on didn't but You know, Puddle and Muds, 100 Reasons, even No Effects, Incubus, Slipknot, Offspring, they all had major crossover mainstream hit singles, so these are not the same thing.
1: (laughs) No, no, no. And as heavy as Raging Speed on and even Amen are, right, the intensity, I mean, the Dillinger Escape Plan at this point on Calculating Infinity were an extreme metal band. Like, obviously, they morphed into very much their own thing, but during the Calculating Infinity years, they were on Relapse. And they were an extreme metal band. A fucked up, weird, bizarre, unquestionably idiosyncratic, one-off metal band. But they had only those songs from that album to play. Like there's no Milk Lizard or One of Us is the Killer to kind of throw in to, you know, calm things down for a little bit. This is Dillinger at their absolute most extreme at this point. And... I was so ready. Like I was I went right down the front and I felt like there's me and about twenty other people of the probably like fifteen odd thousand people that were stood there, just who just kind of wandered down to the main stage with no idea what was about to hit them. There's probably about 20, 30 of us just stood around pockets of this field just waiting for Dillinger to come on. And when it happened, fucking hell. It's the Like, it was not the best Dillinger show that I'd seen at that point. Obviously, seeing them in little tiny clubs and them tearing it up like, you know, Greg fire... Like, literally fire-breathing, blowing fire out at, like, the Concord in Brighton and burning the fucking lighting rig and stuff. I was like, oh, that's pretty fucking awesome. And, you know, to to a crowd who were there to see them, great times. Seeing them do that music, this weird music, really unbelievably extreme music, to offspring fans... You know what I mean? Off people who were like, "I bought Conspiracy of One," and I love like Original Prankster by Offspring. That's why I'm here today. Yeah. <laughs> the look on these people's faces. I mean, if you think System of a Down fans couldn't fucking handle the Dillinger Escape Plan, I, I mean they booed. You know, they were getting Dillinger were getting booed. I, I mean, people were just It looked like they were upset by by watching Dillinger. It was like people started leaving. Like, we're looking at it like, what the fuck is this? They went fucking mental. And then, of course, the famous thing happened. The thing that Greg... Which is? Gets asked about the whole time. During 43% Burnt, their last song, Greg (laughs) pulls down his trousers. And I was like, I was about two, three rows in the front, right? And I was like, is he taking his trousers down? And what's he... And he's got like what looked like a big bit of kitchen roll under his hands. And he sort of pulled his trousers down and faced the audience and pulled his ass cheeks apart. And I'm like, what's he doing? And then suddenly it starts coming out. The shit <laughs> starts coming out of his... And I'm like... And it it took everyone a minute to kind of click. He's taking a shit. He's take, He's actually taking a shit on stage at... 25 past midday on the main stage that, like all of these The main bands stage of, of
0: possibly the second biggest music festival in Europe. <laughs> yeah.
1: And he got a bag and he put the thing in a bag and he tied it up and they stopped the song for a second and he said and like it was such a great speech because everyone was just a bit like what the fuck? Even like us who liked him were like what the fuck? And then he was like this is a bag of shit. You're going to be seeing a lot of this on this stage today. It might be called Puddle Mud. It might be called The Offspring. <laughs> it might be called Incubus. But all of it is shit. And you should familiarise yourself with it because you're going to be seeing a lot of it. And then they kick back into the song. And he lobbed a bag in the crowd. And this is, I think, like, everyone sort of knows the story of, our oh, Greg from Dillinger took a shit on the stage. And I think, like, that's kind of been all that people say about it now like you know it's like i oh, remember when he did a shit on stage and it's like oh the, the the band who do the shit and apparently like you know dillinger played it a bunch of times since and he's like every time i go back greg's always like every time i go back oh, you can do a shit on stage and he's like you don't understand it you don't remember what the context was and so i think i want to like put the context forward and he threw it in the crowd and people were running away like it was you know when you see like a like a bomb going off, like footage of a bomb going off and you see people running away from it. People were running away from, like I spoke about rage, <laughs> like rage, like a bomb going off. I mean, this is like a literal bomb going off and then somebody was like, th- kicked it and then someone threw it and then someone got it and they threw it back on stage. So it got into like the photo pit. So Greg jumped down into the photo pit and grabbed it and he opened it back, the bag up, he tied it up, he opened it back up and he took the thing as the, the 43% burn, did did it, did it, it? dun dun riff was kicking in and as it went he slammed the bag into his own face and rubbed it all the way down his lovely white pristine t-shirt that he was wearing and smeared feces his own feces all over his face his neck his t-shirt and then he jumped in the crowd right and at that point this is when people are like what the fuck is going on and of course i was so like, oh my God, oh my God, this is unbelievable. He's going to like, I, I ran towards him, like weirdly, like I tried to get <laughs> even closer to, to him because I was like, I love this man. And so he took his shirt off. Steve. He took his shirt off and he starts like whipping people who with his shirt who are running away. And I'm like, this is like it's fucking Gigi Allen or some shit, but at Reading Festival. And... He just threw it. On his... the
0: Friday as well. On oh, no,
1: no, it was on the Sunday. This was on the Sunday. I was on the Sunday, the sorry. Yeah,
0: yeah I'm looking I'm looking at the uh, I'm at the lineup and it's got it. <laughs> yeah. Um that's that's it was on the Friday. Yeah. That is fucking And
1: oh. so he just lobbed the t-shirt and somebody must have got it and they lobbed it back in a photo pit. And I remember like standing Jesus. there just being and people were screaming, like I've never seen a reaction to anything out of gig about People were screaming, they were running away, they were getting fucking angry, it was the worst thing I've ever and then there was like twenty of us just being like, Yes, yes, Craig, yes, this is the greatest thing ever. And then he got off stage and the band finished doing the riff and like just trash their equipment. And the one thing I remember where I wasn't like this isn't just a fucking gimmick. This guy's genuinely unhinged. Is his T-shirt ended up back on the stage right somehow? And he got up onto the stage and walked off. And for a minute, and then he turned around. He's like, oh, like you know when you go, oh, I forgot something. He turned around. And he picked his T-shirt up on, and he put his as he was walking on stage. He put the T-shirt back on, covered in oh. shit. And Why? honestly, and honestly, I was like, this is how does anyone ever follow that? How can any band ever follow that? You want extreme things in music? You want someone to push your buttons? I mean, fuck. And you know, they are not a gimmick band The Dylan's Escape Plan, they are a great band. They are one of the greatest bands ever. But as a fuck you statement, as a punk rock statement, what a statement. At a time uh, where they couldn't have been more extreme musically, they actually managed to do something
0: which was actually more extreme than their music. It was amazing. I mean, I've heard, obviously this is an infamous story and I remember it going around at the time in, uh, you know, Metal Hammer and Kerrang and stuff. Um, uh, I've never heard it explained in that detail before. So yeah. I, that. I remember when I was at uni in 2007, I think, um, the lecturer was talking about how he took his teenage son to Reading and he, and he started to go and he was saying, Oh yeah, it was Reading and it was 2002 and he started to go. And there was this band that played early on the main stage. (laughs) And as he did, I was like, I know what story this is going to be. So like that legacy like runs deep, very deep indeed. And yes, it doesn't define Dillinger, but it's lucky that they were that good actually, because if they were anything other than a fucking phenomenal band, they would have always been that band that shot on stage. I because mean, that's know, a hard thing to overlook.
1: It is. I mean, L7 did the did like the um, Donita from L7 threw a tampon in the crowd in like 93, 94, some sometime around there at Reading, And people always go, Oh, you know, they threw their tampon in the crowd. That's it. Was I feel like it's something that people go, Oh, yeah, 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 he did do a shit in the crowd. And like you think, like you said, that would totally define most bands, but Dillinger are that good that
0: you know, it's a fairly a
1: footnote. Yeah, that's pretty fucking crazy.
0: I mean, uh, I don't know how to follow that with talking about Ronnie James Dio, but that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> from one end of the, the heavy spectrum to the other. Um, yeah, again, it, it was hard because I was looking through Sonosphere lineups and I was like, was there anything from Sonosphere that really immediately sticks in my brain? And there's one, there one I just couldn't get around. And it's a bit sentimental and a bit soppy because it's you know, unquestionably linked to the fact that he died less than a year after this. Um, and this isn't even the only time I'd seen Dio live because I had also seen heaven and hell at grass pop in 2007, but grass pop was a bit of a funny festival back then. The atmosphere wasn't quite what I was used to as an English metal fan. We watched it from quite far away. They were fucking brilliant, but it was just a bit of a different vibe. A sonosphere, uh, 2009. I went with my mate, Laura, um, and we, heaven and hell were about to come on. And, uh, we went pretty much as close to front row as you can get if you haven't kind of got there to start with, you know what I mean? So we're probably about three or four rows back or something. And 99.9% of the time, you don't want it to rain at a festival. And when rain starts, it's like, oh, no. Like, it's just not, it's not great. It like You know, how many um, all-time great downloads do we talk about where it's shattered down all weekend? We don't. They don't make the list. <laughs> um, but... They had this really cool kind of gothic cemetery looking stage set up, and the the sky started to fucking darken just as they're about to come on, and then it started raining about you know minutes before they were actually due on stage, and it wasn't like absolutely thrashing it down, but like it was you know it's raining pretty solidly, Um and so all of a, all of a sudden the whole atmosphere suddenly just feels a bit darker than it did about ten minutes ago, uh, and. And then Black fucking Sabbath, and I don't care what people say, it's fucking Black Sabbath, that band, march out on stage and kick into the mob rules. And Ronnie James Dio comes out. He was like knocking on 70 or something at this point, I think, like 60s. Comes marching out, goes straight into the, ah, oh, come on! And he just sounds like a giant. He sounds absolutely amazing. I could not believe that this voice was coming out of this frail and, as we now know, probably kind of ill um, man Uh, And it just really was a reminder, and I was just looking back on this set list earlier actually, it reminded me again of, if you were making the ultimate list of the greatest Sabbath songs ever, and it'll be a long fucking list because you've got at least seven or eight albums that will go straight in there, so many D.A.R.E.A. tracks will be on there. I mean, I, Fallen Off The Edge Of The World, like what a song that is. When that like picks up and just goes off, it's just an unbelievable tune. Obviously Heaven And Hell, Die Young. Like I think Tony Omi wrote some of his best ever melodies across those songs and they just sounded so wonderful wrapped around Dio's vocals. They really did. Um, And the Heaven and Hell album that they actually put out, by the way, The Devil You Know, that's a fucking blinding album too. And those songs sounded great. Uh, And it was just so strange to think that he was there being Dio, being like the best voice in metal. And then he was dead less than a year later. It's just really, really surreal. And so... Um, I'm just really glad that I got to see them be so great and see him be so great. I never got to see a Dio solo set. I would have loved to have seen that as well. But to see Black Sabbath with Dio at somewhere as historically significant as Nebworth, with the fucking Iommi's riffs coming down and Dio's voice sounding amazing and like the sky's darkening above us as it happened. It just felt like a bit of fate and it was really, really cool. So that that made my list um, for quite obviously sentimental reasons as well. Um so I've I've re- I've left quite far ahead of you now. I'm like a good seven years ahead of you still, Steve. When you, are you well, catching me up anytime soon? I'm going to
1: 2009, so I'm still behind you a little bit. Um, but uh, I didn't go to, like I said. I didn't go to a festival for like seven years because I was just doing I was doing other things in that period. Unfortunately, and I did want to go. And I always used to look at the Download lineup, and I because I'd never been to Download like for the first sort of five six years and i just really badly wanted to go to download and every year i'd look at the lineup and be like oh come on and i remember 2008 going i'm going 2008 came around i was like, "I am going to go to download fucking i don't want to miss metallica i don't want to miss guns and roses and maiden and Tool and all the bands that have headline system are down i don't want to miss it and of course it was fucking kiss lost profits and offspring so i was like okay well maybe i'll go next year um so my first festival for like seven years was download 2009, and it was basically I took the plunge purely because Faith No More got back together, and you've sort of already mentioned it. And as much as I look at the rest of that lineup, which I've got in front of me now, and it is ridiculous that lineup like, absolutely ridiculous. You haven't even mentioned before Biscuit came on, we had Kill Engage doing this fucking fantastic set. Ending on Holy Diver. I tell you Diver. what,
0: mate, it, it, it speaks volumes of uh, of that year at Download that I I saw Kill Switch because I remember them doing Holy Diver and me and my mates being like, yeah, but I don't remember a lot from that Kill Switch set, and that really speaks volumes of what weekend that was because I actually remember more of the Faith No More set, who aren't even near one of my favourite bands. Mm. So yeah, I mean Billy Talent I thought were great as well.
1: You had Opeth yep, I, I saw on, that. The other, on the other on the other um, stage. Parkway played on the second stage as well just fucking great um you know architects subbing anvil on the third stage on the saturday like absolute madness you know you mentioned pe- pendulum i thought down and hatebreed were amazing that day i remember watching five finger death punch for the first time quarter to 12 in the morning on the main stage Can we just
0: talk about the the thuggishness of this run on the main stage five finger death punch devil driver hatebreed and down yeah <laughs> Fuck. like oh, fucking do hell. you like pent-up masculinity
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i get it all out of your system now and then i mean and there's so many things from that weekend like i mean therapy on the third stage were amazing on the on the on the sunday fucking suicide silence on the on the second stage on the sunday were fucking amazing blackstone cherry were really good dream theater were really good like chris cornell man on this like hardly anyone watched chris cornell because they went and played because marilyn manson played but i was like you know what i'm gonna take a punt on chris cornell
0: even though you'll on... fucking regretted that i can tell you oh that you
1: should fucking regret it because chris cornell played like opened i was like who are these like maroon five backing band that he's got and then and he started with a song <laughs> from scream which is obviously you know like love you chris rest in peace but that is a bad bad record and then went into spoon man and then to catchies by Audio Slave, and then just played a set of every Audio Slave and Soundgarden song you could possibly want to hear in front of about two hundred people, and then people sort of started making their way over for the Prodigy. It was incredible. But for me, like I say, the only reason I was there, or the only reason I bought a ticket, I should say, really, what swung it for me was Faith No More, who I had seen. In 1997, on the album of the year tour at Brixton Academy, just before they split up, probably, yeah, a good, sort of seven eight months before they split up, and I was always like, cl- I always clung to that that gig because I fucking love Faith No More. They might be, they're probably my second favorite band ever, Faith No More. I fucking love them so much. Mike Patton's a hero of mine, and I just never even considered the idea. That I would see Faith No More again. It just didn't even... It was like... There are some bands where you don't hear anything from them. And so you go, oh, they probably won't reform or whatever. It's unlikely they're going to reform. Everyone in Faith No More was like, no, no way. We will never do it. We hate the idea of it. Fuck no. Particularly Mike Patton, who was like, no fucking way. I'll never do it. I'll never do it. So I, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was like one of them fake festival bills when I first saw it. And to get a day where to get a day where you had billy talent into and engage into that fucking limp biscuit set which i totally agree with you was mental how good that was into corn corn poor old corn actually got a little bit overawed at that point because they were just again them,
0: again another one i think this is this is i think corn might have been on the arse end of when they were doing all that stuff l he's probably might be the biggest corn fan of all of us. Like, doesn't even really remember them doing all this when they all like the people in the rabbit masks on stage and the extended band, they might've been in the arse end of still doing that stuff here because I don't remember this concert, which is mad because they're normally one of the best bands on any festival lineup.
1: They ended with, uh, another brick in the wall by Pink Floyd, which you just go,
0: there you go. You
1: don't really want you doing that guys. That's not where your strength lies. So yeah, it was... after,
0: after Limp Biscuit as well. Oh.
1: Yeah, it wasn't the best. Um, but still corn. And then Faith the Moor came out and like just they changed the entire vibe of the festival. Completely. Like it had been corn, biscuit, bouncy, kill switch, like headbanging, bouncy, like raucousness throughout the day. And Faith the Moor came on and they're just they're just so unique, so different. They played up to the fact that they hadn't been around for ages, that they'd got a bit older, all that kind of stuff. It was really, really funny. They looked, you know, like they've got flowers on stage. They're all wearing suits. The 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 red curtain in the background. Again, when I talk about things that have burned into my mind, that red stage set that Faith No More had
0: with the suits and me, I agree actually because I've got such a vivid. Um, you're not going to like this, but um, we I went to watch a bit of Motley Crew first because uh, I uh, historically I am a bigger Motley Crew fan than Faith No More. I know, I know. But, um and uh, me and my mates were as well. And so we went to watch a bit of Mockley crew and I very vividly remember walking back down the hill and seeing that red just draped over everything. It was so stark and stunning. Um, and yeah, as I said, the rest of the set that I got to see was unbelievable. But
1: And they just... You go, Steve. But they just, like, they just played it like it was nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like, they just, they set it up and then they just played it like it was nothing. They just played these songs that they hadn't played for... 12 years um like it was nothing at all like they weren't like the thing i love so much about faith the more is they did they, they seem to genuinely not give a fuck they don't give a fuck I, I saw them a few i mean this is going off topic a little bit but a few years later they played hellfest they headlined the um the headline hellfest and i was there and they ended with a Bee Gees cover and they do not you know they don't metal their covers up they do them pretty straight for the most part do you know what i mean and they did this guy's in love with you by the Bee Gees, and there was a guy next to me with like long hair, and he was wearing a denim jacket, and and he was just going, "This is not metal! This is not metal! This is not metal!" And I was like, "I love how annoyed this guy is by Faith the More. I love how annoyed this guy is by like I love how much they just push." Again, it's Such like Dillinger. contrarians, aren't they? Yeah, they just again like not quite in the same way as like the most obvious way as Dillinger do, but but Patton like draping that like he was doing sit-ups on stage he was like draping he was <laughs> getting underneath the curtain behind him Why? and stuff i don't know and you know like they chucked a bit of I don't silly know boy you, i don't know if you, you remember they chucked a bit of um uh poker face by lady gaga in there as well at the start i remember of, that yeah of um what song was it they were doing uh chinese arithmetic i think it was um but he just yeah chucked a little bit of poker face by lady gaga in there like just and they were headlining as well i think like When I liked Faith No More, towards the end, when I liked Faith No More, obviously they are a big band with a real thing, and Angel Dust, and then it sort of, you know, they got a bit smaller and smaller and smaller. And by the time they left the UK, when they split up, they were playing the Phoenix Festival in 1997, and they were about sixth from top. And they had people like the fun-loving criminals above them on the bill, like at the Phoenix Festival. And I remember being like what has happened to people that they don't care for Faith No More anymore? And so they split up. And for them to come back to download in front of like 80,000 people and headline that day, and for me to wait, so thinking like, I'll never see this band. I'm never going to see them. And for them to like, you know, they played a bit of stuff in the real thing. When I saw them, they're like, we don't want to play Epic. We don't want to play Falling the Pieces. We don't want to play From Out of Nowhere. We're not playing it. We don't want to play it. And so, obviously, you know, they go 12 years without doing it and they're happy to play that stuff in the real thing. And it was just like, I couldn't have picked a better set list. fucking Well, I could have picked a longer set list, which would have been better, but I wouldn't have changed anything. Like, they're picking some of the Chuck Mosey stuff. Like, it was fucking brilliant. And coming out, like, with a cover of Reunited. Like, hilarious. They're a hilarious, brilliant, again, really idiosyncratic, really unusual, just brilliant band. And so memorable. I wish they were still big enough to headline because it's happened again like they're not big enough to headline download anymore and i i think it's a real shame because they're so fucking great
0: yeah they were they were fucking awesome um and uh it's pretty mad really that we've both picked we both we both said we couldn't do um a slipknot from download 2009 but we both ended up picking uh sets from that festival anyway <laughs> like it was just the most insane year Absolutely, that's got to
1: be the best, uh, like the best ever download, right? The what? Sorry,
0: oh got- yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, either- the combination of the bands—you had older bands that were still great, you had reunited bands, you had younger bands that were coming up, you had bands like Slipknot kind of proving their worth on the, you know, being able to headline the main stage. You had, um, you know, out kind of slightly out there picks like uh, the Prodigy, who we already knew could smash download by then. But then, as I said, Pendulum was just such a weird set afterwards like but it works so well um yeah it was amazing and my next pick in fact is from another download uh only three years later um uh and i suppose for a band that means so much to me like i've got a tattoo inspired by them it was probably inevitable that kill switch might end up on this list at some point um but there was only one real like clear option for kill switch to appear on here and that was when they played download 2012 and Download 2012 is a weird one. Like, I don't feel like it's gone down in download lore too much, apart from the fact that um, Metallica played the Black Album in full, which is obviously a big deal. But when you actually look at what else was going on in that festival, at uh, the main stage especially, was a fucking mad lineup. You had uh, the Prodigy headline the Friday, which was historic and just unbelievable. You had Metallica, as I said, in the Black Album in full. And you had a reunited Black Sabbath on the Sunday. They first kind of reunited at the end of 2011. And this was like their big kind of the big climax to that first reunion run. Um, and then across the 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 main stage on that weekend, you had like Machine Head, Soundgarden, Biffy Clyro, Lamb of Gods, Caius. And you had Steel Panther when they were still kind of a bit more of a, like a, a novelty at that point. And you had Tenacious D, I could not for the life of me work out how they ended up getting that high on the bill. But I mean, you know, unquestionably a big booking. I think it speaks volumes of um, how hard Trivium have had to work in that Trivium were on in waves at this point. So they were on a really good streak and they are one, two, three, four, five bands from the top on the main stage. Um, So it was a pretty stacked lineup. But it was also... uh, The Friday was one of the rainiest... um, days ever in download and i think the lead up to the friday had been even worse and the weather was so bad that they actually had to delay the start of the main stage opening up on the friday uh it was which was fucking crazy i remember we were on the way there and we got the news it was delaying it was like is it gonna happen are they gonna have to cancel the festival what's gonna happen the cycle absolutely fucked um and i still had a great time on the on the friday night like dancing around to the prodigy was so cool i loved it um I remember my feet kept on getting stuck and slipping around in the mud. I had this Mac over my head. There was a lot going on at this download, basically. So it's probably easy to forget about this Kill Switch Engage set because they were kind of tucked away on the second stage, um, quite far up, but not headlining or anything like that. But this wasn't just the first Kill Switch Engage gig with Jesse back in the band in the UK. This is the first time Killswitch and Gage had ever played the UK with Jesse Leach in the band, because by the time Killswitch came over here for Road Rage, Jesse had gone and Howard Jones was playing for them and um, was playing with them. Uh, and the context around Howard's journey with Killswitch is really important here as well, because I've seen Killswitch so many times. I've seen them on pretty much every single tour since Alive I Just Breathing came out in the UK and I've seen them abroad a few times as well. And Howard was amazing when he first joined. The Road Rage gig was one of the best times I've ever seen Killswitch. So they were fucking great. He was on it. He was fierce. He had this massive stage present. He was really passionate and on it. But you could tell, I would go as far to say years before Howard left the band, that his enthusiasm, his heart wasn't in it, however you want to put it. Like, it just, like killswitch around 2009 2010 were not the same band as they were and i remember watching them in that period where howard would spend time with his back to the crowd and singing and it just was a bit like odd and off and um, he was still like a very charismatic great singer obviously but i don't know there was something missing in killswitch for a while and they didn't put out a great album either their last record with with howard so the kind of vibe around them had started to wane, which I think was evident by their position on this bill. You know, they're on the second stage. And, um, and I remember, I remember still being really excited about Jesse coming back to the band because as we discussed on the hall of fame, uh, episodes around kill switch on the podcast, a lot of us just breathe into my favorite kill switch album. It's a massive album for me. Um, and I was really, really stoked to see Jesse come back and do his thing. And I remember trudging up, um, in, uh, what was still a lot of mud at that point um over to the second stage up on the hill uh and i remember the sun started to come out it's kind of like the opposite of the the heaven and hell vibe the sun suddenly started to come out and it just suddenly you get that moment a festival where you're kind of like oh finally we've arrived like the festival is actually kind of it feels like a festival now do you know what i mean like it felt like a proper fun sunshiny festival vibe <clears throat> and so I got there just as Kill Switch come on and they kick into Fixation on the Darkness, which is probably in my top three or so Kill Switch songs ever. I've seen Howard do it a million times. It's the first time I've seen Jesse Leach do it. And he sounds fucking phenomenal. He sounds ferocious. His clean sound good. He's so active and passionate and just fucking like really like taking in the moment. Um and from there on it was actually quite uh kind of cathartic and emotional experience watching them again because he did a load of Howard songs um, Rose of Shower and This is Absolution Arms of Sorrow uh, then he did a couple of A Love Just Breathing numbers again he did Self Revolution and Life to Lifeless and seeing Jesse do those songs was just so like oh my god kind of like a not too dissimilar thing with Limp Bizkit I mean you know Switcher and Mark are a better band overall and they've got more great material and stuff obviously but it, it just really? put me back in touch with <laughs> it just what yes you reckon? what Killswitch got more than Biscuit did you say yeah I think so Killswitch have got two 10 out of 10 albums in my opinion I don't know if I'd quite go that far for Biscuit <laughs> mm.
1: yeah maybe as,
0: as the world, one of the world's foremost Biscuit apologists you know like Biscuit haven't put out a truly great album for 20 years do you know what I mean yeah that's fair um, but um, I love them both anyway it's not a competition no no I just... um, but uh so I kind of turned it into one. Um, <laughs> I was but say, yeah, but, but basically, yeah, I did. Sorry. But <laughs> what I'm getting at basically is that um, it kind of put me back in touch with how much I loved Killswitch Engage, which I hadn't quite felt for a few years. And ever since that set, they have basically become one of my all time. They're not just a band that did some fucking great stuff at one point, but kind of lost their way. Um, they have become an all time great. Like, they are probably my top five metal bands ever, just because of how much I love that band and they mean to me now um and that jesse set uh at that download festival really really established that for me and for me there haven't been many people that have been able to touch jesse leach as a front man in the metal scene since that time and we're going on for like 10 years now nearly since he came back to the band and every time i see them they are just still fucking phenomenal and what's more amazing about this is that even though this is my all time favorite killswitch festival set it's not even the best i've seen killswitch engage because the next year Um, in fact it might have even been later was that yeah
1: it was it was a few months later later you're talking talking about shepherd's bush presumably
0: yeah they did shepherd's bush empire which is one of the greatest gigs i have literally ever been to that was amazing oh it's unbelievable starting with numbered days it was just like holy shit um sorry they didn't start with numbered days today at that one but they they played it like that and um uh self-resolution back to back midway through the set and it was just like oh, oh absolutely amazing yeah uh, but yeah so that that um that kill switch sets set download 2012 is a bit of a forgotten download and i think um it basically pushed a much needed reset button on one of the greatest metal bands of the 21st century and uh they've not looked back since really in terms of certainly in terms of being playing live mm. yeah that
1: was a great set i mean to be honest i kind of wandered over to that with one of my mates who was really was like a massive in- and i was a bit like ah you know cause we spoke before, like, I like- and a heartache, and I think like you, I'd seen Killswitch a couple of times in the years before when Howard was there, and you know they were so great in two thousand nine. I remember being like, wow, they really smashed it in like down in two thousand nine, and then they came back the next year, and it wasn't quite as good. And then I think I went to see them at Brixton, and they were fairly ho hum, and I was a bit like, oh. let's like say that album came out. And then it was like, are oh, you getting your old singer back? And I'd seen a couple of clips of Jesse. and I think he might have been uh, not in the best place at the time of him singing live. And I was like in, in the kind of mid noughties after he'd left Killswitch. And
0: I was like, oh, it doesn't seem like he's actually that good a singer. This is the other thing about Jesse that we forget. Like, he basically became this kind of like like nomad or something of the metal yeah. scene. He kind of... I mean, he did other stuff, but he was not... Working in a bar. He wasn't some big character in the metal scene. Like, he was just... At this point in time, he was some dude that used to sing in Killswitch. He wasn't like, oh, he's Jesse Leach. who's now doing this. Do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, it was it was really fucking weird. No mm-hmm. one knew how it was going to go. Yeah, and it was fucking great. And down in two thousand twelve.
1: Actually, you're quite right. Is I mean, lineup wise, that first day was hard work because it was so horrible. But I mean, for me, it was like I remember seeing. Refuse the first time I saw Refused, and that was a bit like, or well, even more so than Faith and no more because. I'd never seen I'd never seen Refused, and I never believed for a second I would see Refused even more so than Faith and no More. So to see them was pretty amazing in 2012. Soundgarden, I'd never seen before. It's actually a really good year. And by that point, like you say, it rained. It was awful weather. I mean, it was fucking miserable, like muddy and shit down in 2012. But hey, it's download, and it usually is, right? Um, mm. but and guess- it did
0: clear up a lot over the weekend, because I remember yeah. watching Soundgarden. It was sunny by then, I think.
1: It was, yeah, The Sun Was Out By Sam, with Soundgarden. I think like, there's a few things, like Caius Lives as well. Getting to see those Caius mm-hmm. songs the first time was great. Um,
0: so, yeah. Good year. Good, Good year. year. And, yeah, Killsw- Switch was the moment where that festival clicked for me. I mean, I loved The Prodigy the night before, but you normally get a moment at a festival where it, like, clicks. And this was definitely that for me.
1: Well, we're going to go back a year to what I would consider to be, I would say, one of the less... Inspiring downloads download 2000. I think you think when you look back at download 2012, it was really good download 2011 I think you could probably look at and go "Mm, That is not a vintage download You've got Def Leppard who had headlined only two years before and the sort of the furore and the excitement of Def Leppard in 2009 given that they hadn't done it since the monsters of rock days Seemed fair, but for them to come back two years later to headline the Friday uh, felt a little bit like, oh, shit. And um, System of a Down on their return. Very, very exciting, but a very, very poor performance, I think. You know, Serge's dog wasn't very well or something, was it? So this is fine. And Linkin Park, of course, who are Linkin Park. Um, so, you know, quite uninspiring headliners for me. You've also got, like, Bullet sub-headlining. Not that bothered about that. Avenge were quite good. You know, but Linkin Park, Bullet, Disturbed on the Sunday... Not for me. I mean, you know, the dark, the darkness came back and it felt like it was going to be a big deal. I was, I was
0: going to say, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe your perspective was different because I was just watching the darkness with my mates, but all uh, my takeaway memory from download this year will always be the darkness because it was just an hour of fucking absolute flawless bangers and it was great.
1: Yeah, mate, I thought they were great, but I don't feel like there was as much. I, I felt like everyone was going to be more excited about the darkness than they actually were. mm. So I think down 2000... I guess the
0: problem is that the darkness, the darkness were never really. I know they were on the front cover of Kerrang for a second, but the darkness never really felt like the rock crowd's bands. Do you mm. know what I mean? Yeah. They were kind of a rock band that the mainstream went. Oh, this is fun.
1: Yeah. And there was just a lot of stuff on that that weekend where you're like, I mean, I know it pissed down on the last day, so I ended up like missing sort of Rob Zombie and the Cult, who I like to have seen, and you had a fairly average Corn. Um, sub-headline on the second stage at that point. Da- I watched Called Dan-
0: sub-headline into Pendulum. It's yeah. so
1: weird. Yeah. I mean, Bring Me were quite good at that point. I thought the Bring Me were good. Um, but then you look at it and you're like, you know, Duff McKagan's Loaded, Puddle of Mud, CKY, Medina Lake, Bowling for Soup, or oh, Pretty Reckless, you know, Escape the Fate, Hollywood Undead, All That Remains, some real, like, kind of... Real kind of sloppy shit that year, I think. Stuff that you just wouldn't be interested in now. Um, but if you look all the way down the bill on the Saturday, you can see on the third stage, again, third stage headline by Funeral for a Friend, who was sort of not really the the, the flavour of the month uh, anymore. All the way down there, in between, I can't even see who that is. Somebody, but on before <laughs> Trash Talk and Your Demise, were well, Let Live. And I've gone with Let Live because I, like, Download 2011, there's, you know, I could talk about Download 2009 and Faith and More and be
0: like... God, is that really how long ago... Because I remember that set, Steve. I can't believe mm. that's 10 years ago. 10
1: Fuck, years ago. That's the first time I'd seen him. Yeah. And it was just so exciting. Like, as a big fan, and as someone who has grown up listening to and loving... Glass jaw and poison of well and Dillinger and at the drive in and botch and converge and all these bands and then over the last you know when when emo or post hardcore became <laughs> kind of um uh, a more of a mainstream proposition when we got the kind of the gentrification of post hardcore which happened when bands like well Atreyu and Finch and that sort of thing when when they started you know there was a lot of major label interest and when My Chem happened got no beef with My Chem but you know it just meant that there was a lot of chances coming in their wake and emo became a different sort of thing and I all heard Aiden yeah yeah we all heard Aiden and I was like so that's just not a thing anymore then right so all the stuff that I liked when I was growing up the glass jaws and you know your, your quicksands and all that. That's just we're just not doing that anymore. That's gone, is it? Refused. It's just gone. And I had been waiting for a band to come along who reminded me of that thing, who felt like a proper punk rock band, who had personality and individuality and soul. And little did I know, like I was, I was, I was, I was into the Let Live album. I was quite into um, uh, the oh my god what's it called I can't remember what it's called not the blackest beautiful the one before that with the renegade 68 fake what? history fake history silly me so I was, I was into fake history I thought it was, it was really good I did think like yeah it just sounds like glass do you know what I mean that was my th- I was like this is good good it sounds like glass happy days I like glass that's good I had no fucking idea that I was going to see this guy run through the back of the tent jump over the barrier jump past the security get onto the stage try and have the security drag him off stage kick the security guard off the stage grab the mic and start singing and it was like what it might be the best entrance to a set at a festival i've ever seen in my entire life and for jason to then go on and like forward flip and i was just like this is a band playing like they're playing cbgb's or playing like you know the barn in boston massachusetts in 1999 or something but they're playing it download and they're playing on a stage where a funeral friend are going to be on it, where danzig was playing last night again so fucking exciting and it's really 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 a shame to see what's happened what happened to that band the guests will never know why let live split up and fever 333 came along for me fever 333 uh they don't deserve to walk in this, the shadow of let live let Live were a really, really special band, and I think they could have been, they they could have been the sort of, the definitive band for those people of that generation, and I think they were getting really close to doing it, but that was just such, but and you know, and they they got better, like they you know this they, this was their definitive set, but as a live band, i I've, I've, I've definitely seen them be better. I mean, you might remember us at. Um, they played Grozrock Rock uh, when it was on my stag do, if you remember that, Mel. Um, of course I remember. I got up
0: and did probably the, the lamest stage dive anyone's ever yeah. seen. Cause Jason I jumped
1: to I, a op- I, Jason jumped on my back and I span him round towards the end of that set as well. It was, it, and you know, like, they were fucking amazing. But that downloaded 2011 show, I was like, I was like this. It, it was honestly like me and my mate, we walked around for the rest of the weekend going, that's it that's the weekend stolen. Like, Friday was fine. You know, it was about two o'clock on the Saturday. It's like, forget about it. Forget about everything else. Forget about System of a Down. Forget about Avenged Sevenfold. Forget about fucking Rob Zombie, Skunk and Nancy, Down. Like, forget it. It's done. Like, Like, band of the weekend by a mile. The saviors are here. They are here. And they were just absolutely amazing. And I'd never seen them before. And to see them, that'd be your first time seeing them. And they were so fired up. It was so exciting. And it's a real shame that they're not, they're not still about really, because they were they were the fucking best.
0: They were amazing and a, absolutely one of the very very best of that era. Um, I mean, my final pick is actually kind of similar to that. Not in terms of you know I cannot compare this band as even a footnote on um, you know the kind of the actual output that Let Live gave us before they split up. Um, but in terms of a young band that just felt like the most exciting thing in the scene right now. Um, or at the time, I should say, um, like this is as this is as excited as I've probably ever been watching a young band, um, Crossfaith at the Vans Warp Tour in 2012. Now, what has happened to what the, the direction that Crossfaith's career has taken? Unfortunately, kind of ultimately negated this brief burst where I felt like they are the most exciting live band in heavy music because you know that their, their album output since then has just not been up to the standard of that initial Zion EP that they put out and I think that is often a case of them overthinking where they've gone next they try to kind of fit in with that last gasp of warped Tour era metalcore bands that were already on the way out really um, and I just think it kind of just didn't really quite work out to where I hope they would be because they played England a couple of times in 2012, one of which was supporting While She Sleeps. And I just got there as they were coming off stage. Um, and I remember seeing um, my mate at the time and he was just like, oh, you don't know what you just missed. They're amazing. They're amazing. Um, and so when they got added to the, um, the Vans Warp Tour later that year, um, and I don't think it was even that long after actually. Uh, I was like, fuck, I've got to see them. I've got to see them. And CrossFaith played this tiny little room deep in the belly of Alexander Palace. And um, they got, a, they got a big crowd there as well. It was quite full down there. and But you could tell that a lot of people were probably like me and that they probably didn't quite know what they were in for because, like I said, they'd only played the UK a couple of times up to that point. And CrossFaith came on and they started with Monolith, which I think is still my favourite song they've ever done. It's the opening track off of uh, the Zion EP. And if you've not ever heard CrossFaith, to kind of imagine... If Enter Shikari were just like a like kind of went more metal core instead of the kind of punky, kind of post-hardcore route they go down. Um with like eat ten times as much energy as even Enter Shikari had. That's basically what Crossfade turned sounded like when they first turned up. And they come on with monolith. Um and to kind of borrow uh a phrase that Steve used earlier, it was like someone just shoved a grenade into the middle of the crowd because everything just moved and people just went fucking mental. Um, And I don't know if I've ever seen a band just so energetic from every single fucking member. I mean, the the keyboardist was chucking himself into the crowd about two songs in, Um, and it was just absolutely biblical. And it was like, me and Steve talk about the bands around this era that were popping up around this time. We talk about bands like While She Sleeps and... um, uh, bury tomorrow and Bleed from within, and if you look further down into the hardcore and other realms, you had like TRC and Feed the Rhino and um, Upon a Bended Body in the States, and you know the Defiled. Yeah, there were all these really exciting young heavy bands coming through all over the place, and it felt for a moment like the scene was really going to explode. Probably in a way, it did actually do years later when we suddenly got Power Trip and Code Orange and all of those guys. Um, but there was a moment around this time where it really felt like there was going to be a real explosion of exciting, varied, uh, just killer live young bands. And Crossfaith for me, they weren't the best of those bands musically, because what they did did was always quite a simple mashup. It wasn't like a, you know, boundary pushing exercise. But they were just so fucking exciting to watch live and uh, dragged you in, in a way that the very best live bands do like, you know, their shtick almost reminds me of the prodigy. Like they're all just moving around and there's so much energy running through their music that you just can't, you cannot stand still watching them. And it was so fucking exciting that I genuinely felt like this, this band are going to be headlining Brixton Academy in a few years time. And I and I actually do believe if they'd stayed down, I mean, what the fuck do I know? But if, if I think if they'd stayed down the right path musically and they kind of stayed closer to what they were doing at that point in time, rather than trying to embrace the more kind of, clean choruses and all that stuff they started doing. I think they could have gone down that road because I generally think at that moment in time, they are the best live bands in metal. Um, and it bums like, I still love going to watch them. I still catch up with the bands whenever I see them. They're all really great guys and I still got a lot of love for them, but I felt like they had a, they, there was a moment for them there. Um, and even though it didn't happen for them, I still always look back on that gig very fondly because it was probably that whole era for me, was the first time since I'd got into music as a journalist that I felt like we were helping to herald along this really exciting new movement. And to be fair, some of the bands from that scene have kind of gone on to do that. You know, Barry Tomorrow, unfortunately, they had some bad news with lineup changes this week. Um, But they're really going places. A a gig I was seriously considering adding to this list was that Welshie Sleep set from Download Pilot. Um, And I think if we revisit this in a year's time, that will probably be the fifth pick because I genuinely think they'll go down as an all-time great download set and it felt like it was a decade in the making
1: I mean Um, I mean they've just been added to the bill at bloodstock as well I mean and they're so low down you think as well like I mean they're they're playing they're playing below paradise does cradle filth and creator and when you look at the venues that those three bands play I mean arguably sleep's are the biggest band of those four bands in terms of the venues they play mm. play in this country?
0: I suppose. I mean, technically, they've done Brixton, but I don't know if. or I don't know. They could play the roundhouse. I know what you're getting out, yeah. but I mean, yeah, they're certainly they're... bigger
1: than Cradle of Filth and Paradise Lost in
0: terms of the size of the venues that they play. Certainly, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. but but Cradle and Creator and Paradise as well. Like you're talking about three of the most significant European metal bands ever all time of course I like so, yeah
1: yeah 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 yeah. but you know I mean so it's a
0: hard one I
1: mean fucking
0: uh, and at this festival UFO yeah
1: yeah UFO were on first at download and people were like going they should be subheadlining Maiden it's like come on they're not bigger oh yeah than, no. they're not bigger than Steel Panther are they um, no 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 in, that's in, mad in
0: 2013 or whatever um, but, but mate yeah but um Sleeps That Sleeps download pilot set very nearly made this list and I suspect when all is said and done I will look back on that as you know, I wasn't there for Trivium in 2005 I wasn't there for Machine Head in 2007 but I was fucking there for Sleeps in 2021 I
1: think you're right I think that's going to be a one now, isn't it? I think that's going to be one of the ones that people talk about Uh, Going back to CrossFaith really quickly they are a fucking great live band I mean, we saw them I remember me and you went to see them at the Underworld supported by Hacktivist with Hacktivism. Yeah, yeah, and again, yeah. it's just like a band who everyone went, this is really cool, really zeitgeisty, really exciting. It feels like it's kind of moving metal into a, a different direction in a way that hadn't really happened since, I guess, since new metal. And I think that was the thing, wasn't it? Is it like new metal crossover? And I think a lot of us looked at that and we went, well, why couldn't this kind of electro metal, this Japanese electro metal band, and this kind of cool London sort of genty. MC band like crossover to that should surely they look cool. I mean, I was just saying something, you know, it is important, isn't it? It is important to look cool and Crossfaith. that, you know, they, 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 they did, they looked fucking cool. Like they just looked cool. And I think, you know, it, people might be like, Oh, that's really, you know, like music's the most important thing or whatever, but I don't know, you go and watch Crossfaith, and you kind of want to be part of it because, they just look like absolute fucking lunatics, and you're like, I, I you know, I want to, I want to be on their side. I don't want to be like on the other side. I want to be whatever they're doing. I want to be kind of part of it. And they, they did it like. Did they ever make an album that lived up to their live show? Probably not. But their live, like you know, I can't even really remember many of their songs off the top of my head now. But like live, I mean, I'm seeing them at the Coco, the Underworld main stage at Download in two thousand fourteen. I think they played as
0: well. Mm. And Brixton Academy supporting Biscuit.
1: Yeah, I didn't see that, but I mean, I went. I, I saw, I saw three nights of the Skin Dreads tour.
0: And, oh yeah, the Jagermeister tour. Yeah,
1: and that was fucking that. mad good as well.
0: Yeah, they were great. I mean, and that that first EP remains the best thing they've ever done for me. And obviously, they played all of the songs off it at this gig. They play, I mean, they did monolith straight into pho- Photosphere, which are their two best songs, one after the other. It was fucking. Mad. they had that Jager Bum song at the time as well yeah yeah they had the why don't you just take that drink and chug it and it was like like they had all these little things that really added to like them being a thing um, and also because I mean now every time they do it I'm like oh do you have to do this again guys I don't want it to define you but like the first time I saw them do the Omen cover and it was people went ballistic for it when they did the kind of Corey Taylor sit down thing and then it went into the wow 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 and everyone just went ah, like it was fucking great man genuinely felt like nothing I'd quite seen before certainly in metal at that time um, Yeah. so yeah excellent. you know it didn't quite work out for them but um, who knows what the future may hold I mean they're still like they're still playing gigs they're still a fucking great live band so I've got a lot of love for that guys uh, that's about it really 10 quite significant festival sets in the lifetimes of me and mr stephen hill um hopefully if this uh <laughs> quite frankly risky lifting of restrictions goes okay we will have an awesome bloodstock festival uh, with all the right measurements in place i'm sure to look forward to in a month's time we will be previewing that and doing all the business at the festival itself when that comes But next week on the Metal Hammer podcast, we will be doing that long-awaited review roundup featuring all the great stuff that you might have missed from the last few weeks at the gates, Tooth, Backwash, and some other very exciting stuff as well. Um, Don't forget to go visit our awesome and lovely sponsors at Killstar, the very coolest alternative fashion and accessory company going right now. They've got so many different ranges as well. Um, I mean, they've even got little soft toys and all sorts of stuff, like everything you possibly want under the branch of metal uh, they can give you. So go over to killstar.com now to check all of that out. And we will see you next week right here on the Mountain Hunt podcast. Goodbye, everybody.
1: See you later.